His glory is so beautiful, isn't it? You just go out out the doors today or yesterday and you just see and feel his glory. What a beautiful day the Lord has blessed us with. Amen. 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 This it's probably a common average day in heaven, I would guess, when it's so perfect out there like this. So I look forward to that. Uh, if there is such a thing as weather um, or sunshine, uh, Pastor, maybe you can help us with that. Today, uh, Pastor Adam is going to be giving a, a very stirring message uh, from First Peter. So prepare your hearts and minds, and it's it's just a great message. Um, thank you for for being here for us too, Pastor Adam. Um. Benevolence. We have our benevolence baskets at the end of the service, so if it's on your heart, please uh, feel free to help your neighbors and friends with uh, some other challenges and needs. Um, I'm sure they'd be very greatly appreciated. And also welcome, by the way, uh, internet folks. How are you out there? Good to be seen by you. I can't see you, so hello. Hope you're having a wonderful morning, too. If you're looking for a church uh, church home, we'd love to have you become part of the family. You are welcome. Um, contact any of the leaders or or Julie. Julie, can they contact you if they need to know something about the church? No. Okay. <laughs> she says that with affection and uh, care. <laughs> um, we have a... Um, uh, and please, after the service, there's a, uh, a booth or a uh, stand. Chris, Chris, would you like to raise your hand? We'll be there for our crisis response team. We're planning a, uh, a message or a, a mission trip to go to North Carolina, I believe, right? And Ellis is there. So um, if that's on your heart, on your uh, mind and your soul, um, please uh, talk to Chris after the service. And could we have the video, please? We all have been chosen chosen to be who he created us, created us to be, if that's you, um, there's your opportunity. Step forward and serve your brothers and sisters that are in need. With that, with the ushers, please come forward. Nice to hear your voice again, Aaron. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've given us. Uh, you bless us in so many ways, Lord. Um, I just pray that we take time to take to heart uh, what we hear, the message from your written word, Lord, that was uh, uh, expressed and saved, especially for each and every one of us. May we take something from our message and just be a, um, grow closer to you, Lord, in our daily walk. And thank you, Father, for the gifts that you've given each and every one of us. Um, may we use them in a powerful way in a humble way, to, to serve our brothers and sisters, and just to give you honor, glory, and praise, Father, today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Good to have you here this morning. I finally got to hear Aaron sing. Yeah, they told me we had a worship director that doesn't sing. That was kind of funny. Yeah, but we got to see him, hear him sing. So he's back singing to you in the morning, isn't he, Theo? Yeah, he's back singing to you. Well, um, a few announcements here before I get started. First off, I've met about with 20 of you, which has been great in these conversations that I have with you. And if you have not signed up, there's a table in the foyer. It's not only an opportunity to hear from your mouth about your church, but it's also for an opportunity for me to get to know you better. And I, I cherish those times together. So that's one. 
Uh, the second thing is, is in the back of your seat, you might find a sheet like this, a double-sided sheet. This is just the notes from today. It's everything that will be up on the slide, so you don't have to feel like you have to write everything down. It's right there for you. Uh, the third one is we do have these scripture journals that we're going through, First Peter. And so if you would like one, raise your hand, and the, the ushers will come around and give you one. So just keep your hand up so they can see you and get that to you. Um, and at one point, I'm going to pray. Um, and, I, and I realized this morning that I prayed a name and everybody went, who's that, who's that, who's that? So I want to clarify who I'm going to pray for this morning. There's a, it, uh, and I'm praying about the prayer requests that are coming across the email. So there's this lady named Jan who has some kidney problems. That's one. Faye Crandall, uh, Aiden was here in first service. And um, she's going to have heart surgery on Wednesday. Um, so let's pray for Faye that morning. Um, John, this is the one that got me in trouble. I just said John. And then sort of John Wenzel, and they're, they're just going through the whole list of Johns. Uh, but this is um, Diane McCann's um, brother-in-law who had some lung issues, and he's off the ventilator. And then the Prince family who lost a loved one, lost a, a, a child this last week. And then we're praying for Vacation Bible School this morning, too. That starts tomorrow, and just all the leaders of that and the, and the children that will be getting together. So just to clear that up when we get to that point of, of prayer. So um, I called this sermon term paper time. How many of you like to write term, term papers? Yeah, very few hands. Yeah, and I shouldn't even have my hand up. It was a rude awakening after 32 years of being out of college that I went back to college online to get my master's in biblical studies, and I had to write term papers again. And I had to, I had to reacquaint myself with what that meant and the process and everything. And one of the things that you have to know when you write a term paper is what is a thesis statement, because that's how your paper starts off. And here's a definition of it, a short statement usually one sentence that summarizes the main points or claim of an essay, research paper, term paper, etc., and is developed, supported, and explained in the text or the body by means of examples and evidence. And when I looked at that, and I looked at what we have covered so far in verses 1 and 2, that's really what Peter's done in verses 1 and 2. He's given us his thesis statement for his letter, for his term paper. So just as a reminder, it starts out and says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ Jesus, for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So in that one sentence there, he's starting to lay out, at least I see three things that he's going to talk about in this letter. The first one is the Trinity. He makes mention of it all in one verse, and the verses that we will read today, you take note of where he talks about the Trinity again. He'll give you all three parts of it. The second thing he's talking about there is your salvation, your salvation tied into all of the Godhead. So he's going to start to unpack what your salvation means or looks like, what's entailed with that. And then the third thing that I think he's bringing out in this thesis statement is the idea that 
um, these people are heavily persecuted because they are Christians, but they're residing. So how do I reside? How do I live in this hostile environment as a Christian? So those are my three things that I think that he's trying to bring out in his thesis statement that the rest of this letter is going to, is going to expand on, okay? And while I was working on this this week, I thought about that Trinity thing. And how many of you remember the doxology? 100th, okay? Ready? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. And here it is. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Probably one of the most famous songs ever written that emphasizes the Trinity. Okay, so let's read the passage of Scripture. As I said before, you might be encouraged to, when you see the Trinity or the different names in the Godhead, put a box around them. But let's walk through the Scripture first together, starting at verse 3, reading through verse 12. The Word of the Lord says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in glory for you and heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that you now have been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of the word. We thank you for the availability that we have of it, that you have made it known to us. We can study it. We can apply it to our lives. We thank you for your son, him coming and being laid in a manger, laid on a cross, laid in a tomb, rising the third day, ascending into heaven and coming again. And we thank you, Lord, this morning for the Holy Spirit given to your children to guide them in truth. And we pray 
for that guidance this morning. And we do pray for this lady, Jan, um, who is battling with the situation with her kidneys. We pray for Faye and for Aiden as they um, prepare for this heart surgery on Wednesday. We pray for this man named John, Diane's brother-in-law, who who's showing some recovery in this lung situation. We pray for the Prince family, who um, extended family of theirs that lost a, a loved one this last week and the grief that they are walking through. And we do pray for um, Vacation Bible School, Lord, and the all the workers and all the children that will be gathering and the opportunity that we have to share with them about our God who loves them so much that he sent his son. So your hand upon all those backyards of where that will be happening, Lord, this week. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So just as easily, we just go back up to the top of the verses and we just walk down through them. So in verse 3, it said, Blessed be the God and Father, so there's part of the Godhead, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just notice there that the our is a personal pronoun, but it's plural. So it's collectively, there's this group of Christians are holding to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says, according to, and when we get to that word, according to, we've read that already in verse two, when it said, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father. So we tie those two together, according to God, the father's great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's just so much in this verse right here. When he says, Lord Jesus Christ, that is not Jesus' first, second, and third name. Okay, that's not his first, and last, middle, and last name. That's, when we say the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord Jesus Christ, what we are saying is, first off, Lord, that word means master. It means master. Literally, to whom I belong, to whom one belongs. Then his word Jesus, the name Jesus in, in, in Hebrew means Jehovah saves. And then Christ means the anointed one or the Messiah. So when we say the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what I am saying is I believe in this one that I belong to who has saved me because he is the Messiah. He is the proclaimed Messiah. That's what you're saying when you say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said there, according to, jumps you back to verse two, to realize that this mercy that he talks about next, which is not just any mercy, it's great mercy, is coming from God. And then here again, Peter uses that phrase, he has caused us to be born again. He, God the Father, has caused us to be born again. Peter's the only one that uses this kind of phrase together like that, and he uses it a couple times in this letter. But when you talk about being born again, probably one of the most famous passages that you would go to is in John chapter 3, when Jesus meets with a man named Nicodemus at night. Nicodemus is one of the, the religious leaders of the day, and they have this conversation about being born again. And so in John chapter 3, starting at verse 3, it says, in reply, Jesus declared, I... Some versions will say truly, truly, meaning this is a very true statement that's going to be made. But he says, I, he doesn't say rabbi so-and-so says this. He says, I, on the authority of who I am, I tell you the truth, no one, 
Everybody say no one. No one. Can it see the kingdom of God unless, say unless, unless he is born again. So no one unless he is born again. When Jesus uses that phrase born again, it, it means born anew or born from above. And it actually can use the word, the genetics into it to say even fathered from above. So you could look at that and say, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is fathered from above. And Nicodemus comes back in verse four and says, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And so Nicodemus is saying the obvious. He's saying, that's impossible. This is no way to do that. And I imagine Jesus going, mm-hmm, it is. It is impossible. It's impossible for you, but it's not impossible for God. Not impossible for God. So he says it again in verse five, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and the spirit. Now, I look at that passage of scripture just very simply of saying the water represents our physical birth and the spirit represents our spiritual birth. And I hold that because of the rest of the passage that's there, but we are born in water. I mean, ooh, my water broke. Oh no. You know, kind of, we're born in water, and, but we need to be born in spirit. And he puts the two together. The next verse, a good rabbi will say it twice in just a different way. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh. So how were you born physically? Because of the flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So someone who is born again needs to be physically born and then needs to be spiritually born. Then he explains this a little farther. He says, you should not be surprised by me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So Nicodemus, take a look at the wind. Look out there and the, the trees are blowing and you can, you can see the effects of the wind, but are you in control of the wind? No, only God is in control of the wind. You can feel the effects of it, but God is in control of it. He says, so it is everyone born of the spirit. The people that are born of the spirit is, is under God. God is the one who does that. And when they are born of the spirit, when they are born anew, you can sense it. You can feel it. You can see the effects of it, but it's all coming from him. I hear someone say it this way, because he's putting these side by side. If, if in your physical birth, did you have anything to do with it? In your physical birth? Yeah, zero, right? Your physical birth is because of the will of others, right? The will of two other people, okay? He's equating that with your spiritual birth. Your spiritual birth. Do you have any response? Did you do anything to do it? No. Your spiritual birth is because of the will of another. This is where the, the hard part comes in because the God who, who has planned our salvation is also the God who commands us to respond to him and commands us to respond with repentance and faith to that. It's the same God. And he can do that because he is God. We'll scratch our heads about it and go, I don't know how this all fits together. But God makes it work on his end. And I'm thankful for that. And so here is Peter 
Using this phrase, he has caused us to be born again. He wants them to realize that their salvation has come from God. God planned it, Jesus purchased it, and the Spirit is polishing it as they walk through this life. The next thing he says is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. It's living because we believe in a God who is raised from the dead. He is not dead. And this is one of the tenets of the faith, uh, one of the non-negotiables about Christianity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, we find um, what they believe is an early creed that when the Christians got together, they would say this maybe together. So he starts off by saying, now, brethren, I want you to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you were taken near stand. By this gospel, you were saved. You hold firmly to the word, and I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Verse 3, for I have received, I passed on to his first importance. And here's the creed. Now, number one, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. That's the first phrase. The second phrase, he was buried. And I think you could add according to the scriptures onto that. And then the third phrase, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Then he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. There's a little creed that was given there that they believed that the disciples and the Christians, when they got together, they would say those things. But this is a tenet of the faith. This is a non-negotiable of the faith. That if you are a Christian, you, believe, you are to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He is not dead. He is alive. And actually, if someone says, I'm a Christian, I just don't believe he rose from the dead. You would have to say to that person, you need to pick a different word, okay? You, you can't call yourself a Christian because a Christian by the words of God is someone who believes that Jesus rose from the grave and he is alive forevermore. I don't have a dead hope. I have a living hope in a living God. So he lays that out in verse three. Verse four, verse four in our passage, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So you have a living hope, and on top of this living hope, you have an inheritance. Now let me tell you what the inheritance is like. That's what Peter's saying. He, and he piles these up on top of one another. He says it's imperishable. This inheritance that you receive from someone else, okay? You don't earn an inheritance. You receive it from someone else. This inheritance does not rot. Maybe he's thinking of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, um, you know, treasures on this earth, moth and rust destroy, but treasures in heaven do not roth, moth and rust destroy. Maybe he's thinking of that. Then he says it's undefiled, saying it's unstained by evil, that this inheritance that you have is pure. Then he says on top of that, it's unfading. It's in vivid color. It's a, I think of on our TVs, how you have dynamic mode, you can click on there, you know, and it's just like that. That's what he's saying about our, our inheritance, that it's in vivid color. The, the word, actually, we get the word perennial from it. Which it's not an annual that you have to plant every week or every year. It's perennial, it continues on. And then he says it's kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven, meaning it, to attend to carefully, it's guarded in heaven for you. So you as a Christian have a living hope. And not on top of that living hope that you serve a living God, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept guarded in heaven 
for you. Then he goes to verse five. Verse five, he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He goes from a what, the what is salvation and this inheritance. Then he goes to a who, and you have to sell, ask yourself, who's the who? Well, the who, the who, the who's the who, you know, go back to verse one, and the who are those elect exiles, the chosen, the ones who are saved are the who. And what's he say about the who? God's power is protecting those. They're guarded. So it's kept in heaven, being guarded through your faith. And then he says, this salvation is ready. Did you see that there? Whose power, God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's already ready. It's already prepared. So the last time, meaning the last time of all times, ultimately, but it's ready for you right now. Now, why is this important? Because they, the people he's writing to, could have been burned at the stake at any time, could have been fed to the lions at any time, could have been put on the rack to be stretched to say, Jesus, uh, Caesar is Lord. You know, it, that could have happened to them at any time. And he's telling them, hey, keep going forward because you serve a living God and that living God has given you an inheritance and that inheritance is like no other inheritance on this planet and it is ready for you. Your salvation, it will be revealed, it's ready for you. I thought a great picture of this is, is Stephen, the first martyr. So they, they would be able to relate to this. Stephen, the first martyr in Acts chapter 7, Stephen um, is to be stoned. Um, he's preached the gospel. They're not too excited about him pointing a finger at them. And so if you pick it up in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, it says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now notice that, standing at the right hand of God. Because we know Jesus to be sitting at the right hand of God because the work has been done. So he can set down as the high priest. He can set down finally. But now he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So this Jesus is getting ready to receive one of his soldiers. Look, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they covered their ears and they were yelling at the top of their voices and they all rushed him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They would have thrown him off a cliff. They would have thrown stones on top of him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Listen to what he prayed. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What is this saint saying? He's saying some of the very words that Jesus said on the cross. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. While he's being stoned, while he is being persecuted in that way, he's saying the words of Jesus are coming out of him. The next thing he says, then he fell on his knees and cried, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. You remember that from the cross? When he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here is Stephen, who is, has seen this vision of heaven, and that is, it, Jesus is standing, ready to receive him, to take him in, and he's saying the words of Jesus while he's being stoned. And then at 
It ends with, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. I want you to know that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that we need to realize that your salvation is ready. It is ready. No matter when the time is, it is ready for you, prepared for you. Um, the next verse is verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice, though for now, uh, uh, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In this you rejoice. What do I rejoice in? That I have a living hope, that I have an inheritance, that it's kept in heaven for me, that God's power is guarded over those who are his own, and, and it is ready at any moment in time. In this I rejoice. But then he says there's various trials, and it's interesting. I'll have you go to James sometime, and you can go to James chapter 2, and you can see that James says almost the exact same thing to the persecuted Jewish Christians when he says, if you go have joy when you go through trials. And here's Peter saying the same thing to the Gentile Christians who are being persecuted. Verse 7, he goes on to say, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you follow James again, he will say this almost the exact same thing. This testing is to produce perseverance, and per per perseverance produces maturity. And Peter is saying the same thing. He points out what is more precious than gold. Now, he picked out gold because gold was the most precious thing. And so he takes the most precious thing in life, and he points out that your faith is more precious than gold. I learned a few things about gold this week. If you, um, if you get gold to a liquid form, it's 1,948 degrees Fahrenheit. Woo, that's hot. If you get gold to a boiling point, that's 5,173 degrees Fahrenheit. And at that point, it would start to, start to evaporate. So, I mean, there, this is a, this is a, a, a metal um, that is very, very durable. But Peter is saying your faith is even more precious than that because your faith doesn't perish when tested by fire. And then he brings up about the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anytime he says those words, He's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what is the result at the second coming of Christ? The result is praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That what results in your salvation is at the second coming of Christ that you would give him praise, glory, and honor. Now, I put down there a problem. And our problem is our result is too short-sighted. We're human. We have a various trial that comes upon us. There's the trial. And what we will do, usually, what we will do is we will zero in on the trial. We will see how this affects me, what, what I need to do, and everything else. And you'll get so zeroed in on it, you could have a bunch of people talking to you, and you won't even hear what they say. You won't even hear what they say. I don't know how many times I've went into, um, like the doctor comes in to give a consultant with maybe someone in the church and everything, and, and, and the doctor says what needs to happen, and they, they don't even hear a word he says. And I have to reiterate what the words were for them because we get so zeroed in on it, and I understand that. But as a Christian, 
there's at some point we need to step back from the trial. We need to step back from being so singular focused on it and step back and say, but I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I serve a living God. I have an inheritance that is like none other that's being kept in heaven for me. And, 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 and he's guarding my life. And he has a salvation that is ready, ultimately ready for me right now. And I think the problem is that many times we have a trial that comes up and we get so zeroed in on it that as Christians, we don't step back and go, wait a minute here. Let me look at this differently through the eyes of God. Let me look at this differently, and I, I will probably now start to respond differently to the trial that I'm working through. That's there. Verse 8, I love because I think Peter is shifting gears here when he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And you have to remember that Peter is saying this, and Peter is someone who has seen him. But he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy the inexpressible and filled with glory. So you've not seen him, but you love him. Not now see him, meaning, meaning you're going through this time of trial and persecution, and you don't see at the moment how God is working. You're kind of confused about it, like, what is God doing? What, what, what's this whole thing happening here? But, but you still believe in him. You don't let go of your belief in him just because you're not quite sure how God is making this all work out. And you rejoice, with, you rejoice with joy. I think he's having a Thomas moment here. If you remember when Thomas, um, when Jesus rose from the dead and he met with the disciples and Thomas was not there. And Thomas came and the, all the disciples said, he's alive, he's alive. And Thomas goes, uh-uh, I'm not going to believe until I what? I can put my fingers into his into the scars, and I can put my hand into his side, and I won't believe. So a week later, Jesus shows up again, and Thomas is there. And Jesus goes right up to Thomas, and he says, put your, put your finger here. Put your hand here. Stop doubting and believe. And at that point, Thomas says those famous words, my Lord and my God. Wonderful, because he equates Jesus as God. He is saying Jesus is God and he is my God. And then Jesus says back to him, because you've seen me, you believe. Then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Even greater blessing on those who have not seen me. And even though they have not seen me like you have seen me, they believe in me. I think that's what Peter is having a moment here just like that when he's speaking to these Christians who are being persecuted who have not seen the risen Lord. And they love him and they believe in him and they rejoice in him. I put those three words up there. The love, agape or agapio means they love him dearly. They love him dearly. Uh, believe, meaning to be true, persuaded of, place your confidence in. And then the third one, rejoice with joy, meaning exceedingly glad. Exceedingly glad. I always love to throw these up there when, when there's a verse in the Bible that has inspired a song. And this verse has, 1 Peter 1.8. 1 
um, a man uh, in, uh, his name is Barney, Barney. And Barney, who was a pastor um, in 1900, wrote these words right out of this verse. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, the half has never yet been told. Yeah, we're not even there, but there is joy unspeakable coming out of us at this point in time. Verse 9, he says, you've already obtained the outcome of your faith. You're presently receiving for yourself your salvation. By this response that you are giving, even in trial, that you are responding this way, you are receiving the outcome of your faith right now. And last week, I told you, or last couple of weeks, I told you about the three circles. We, are, we have been under the control of sin in this broken world. And what we need to do is we respond with submission to God's provided salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So Jesus came down, died on the cross, and we're in submission to him as our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next thing is, is that now we share in his perfect world. We share in that perfect world even now, when did your eternal life start? It starts now. It's it, when, you, when you turned your eyes toward Jesus, you have eternal, eternal life. Um, I do want to have you flip over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 is probably the one that we know. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. But I want you to look at verse 22 verse before it. You'll see these three things again. But now that you have been set free from sin, there it is, and become slaves to God or in submission to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result, there's the share, the result is eternal life. So Peter is telling them, that they are sharing even now in the benefits of their salvation. Verse 10, almost done here. Concerning this salvation, the prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. So concerning the salvation, this is like the cherry on the top. I told you a whole bunch about your salvation. It's a living hope. It's an inheritance and all this kind of stuff. Now I'm going to give you the cherry on the top. How far back does your salvation go? See, he's pointing these people to realize that, wait a minute, your salvation was being prophesied by the prophets, and during that time, it would have been 1,500 to 1,700 years prior. He's saying, your salvation was already being talked about by the prophets 1,700 years ago, okay? And these prophets searched and inquired carefully. And actually, in the next verse, he'll give us one more. What he does is he uses one word or or variation of the word, he says it three different times to kind of build it and on top of one another so that you realize, wait, these guys took this very seriously. So to search means to seek out, to diligently investigate. And then in verse 11, he goes on and says it the third time when he says, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ 
That's the first thing. And then the second thing, the subsequent glories of Christ. So the prophets had inquiring minds that wanted to know who was guiding them. We see it in that passage. It says the Holy Spirit was in them, was guiding them on this search about salvation. And you'll see that also in 2 Peter 1.21, when it talks about no prophecy is from man, but it it's comes guided by the Holy Spirit. And one is emphasized by the coming, about the coming Christ. He says there's two things, that the Messiah would suffer, and the second thing, he would be shown in glory. Those are the two things. Now, when you get home, you can look up Luke 24, 25 through 27. I'll summarize it here. Jesus is raised from the dead. He's walking on the road to Emmaus. He has two disciples that he comes up upon. They don't know who he is. And he asks them, hey, what's going on? And, and so they lay out the whole story. Like, where have you been, man? It's all over Jerusalem. What happened to Jesus? And they play out the whole story about Jesus. And, and when they get done, Jesus turns to them and says, why are you so slow to believe what the prophets have said? That, that the Christ must suffer and be brought to his glory. Jesus said those things. And then he started to teach them all through the scriptures about where the Christ was in the Old Testament. I think it's important for us to realize that our salvation was prophesied. The the prophets specifically looked intently into this thing called salvation that we have received. And so that's what Peter does here. He wants them to understand this. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In this careful instruction, they realized that the salvation that they were investigating and learning about this coming Messiah was not going to be for them, not at their time. It was actually going to be for you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you. Well, who preached the good news to you? Well, the apostles did. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it says, who was by the Holy Spirit, who was sent from heaven. So, in Ephesians, it shows that again, that when we talk about the gospel, we need to realize our salvation is, is much deeper than one event in our life. The prophets had sought it out, and then the apostles had been first witnesses of this risen Lord. The same spirit that led the prophets is the same spirit that led the apostles, and the message coming down from heaven. And then he ends it with that little phrase things into which angels long to look. I love this phrase because sometimes in the biblical languages, um, a word has also a word picture with it. So the word for long, the word picture uh, is, is to turn upon. So if I long for something, I turn upon it. I, I gaze toward it kind of thing. And then to look, that word picture is to stoop to a thing that you actually stoop down to a thing. So if I'm with my grandkids, am I up here? No. No, what am I doing? I'm stooping right down to their level because I want to be right there with them, you know, and look right into their eyes. Well, he says this salvation that you have, the angels, when they know about this salvation, they turn toward it and they stoop down to get a little better picture of this. And if you go to Luke chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus tells those three parables, 
at the end of the parable of the lost coin, he says, what do the angels do in heaven when one sinner repents? Anybody know? They rejoice. Yeah, they turn and they stoop down when they hear about a salvation that has happened. So let me finish with this. Here's some questions. How prevalent is your salvation given and provided by God to you? How prevalent is that salvation? How important is that salvation to you? How much do you think about that salvation? How much? Secondly, does your salvation go beyond your immediate circumstance? So the circumstance that you're in, does your salvation go beyond that? Do you realize that, yes, at a time that God really opened up my eyes and I saw him for who he is and I submitted to him and everything, but I realize now that, wow, there's a whole backstory to my salvation, to this, this whole thing happening at that moment in time that I, I turned to him. Thirdly, is your salvation resulting in a greater love for Christ, a greater confidence in him, and a greater rejoicing in the midst of a hostile world? I'm in a hostile world, and because of my salvation, is it resulting in even now a greater love for him, and even now a greater confidence in Christ, and now a greater rejoicing in the midst of this hostile world? Because I am saved, are these the things that are coming out of me? And then the last thing, what on your plate? Because we all got stuff on our plate, right? You got some stuff on your plate? Like, put out your hand. That's your plate. Put out your hand. Okay, there's my plate. I got a whole bunch of stuff on my plate. Okay, what on your plate needs your salvation added to it? What on your plate that you need to say, but wait a minute, I'm saved. But wait a minute, I, I, I serve a living God. Wait, there's an inheritance that is, that is like none other that's being kept in heaven for me. That, 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 I, that he's guarding even my very faith. And it's ready. It is already ready for me. What on your plate needs that added to it so that you respond differently. Because if I, if I look at my plate and I look at that and I apply my salvation to it, here's what's going to happen. It's going to result in the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ. You're actually going to look at that situation, whatever it is on your plate, you're going to look at it very differently now through the eyes of your salvation. Through the eyes of your salvation. I just want to encourage you this morning to realize what great salvation you have. That's why I think what Peter's doing with these people who are heavily persecuted, who are hearing this for the very first time, he wants them to know that they have a great salvation that they are standing upon. And I pray that we would realize even more the great salvation we have. And we would step back many times, just step back from whatever the various trial is there, step back from that and say, but I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to look at this differently in such a way that I'm going to give him praise and honor and glory. Now, I like music. And I came when I was going through this passage of scripture, I couldn't help but think of the words of the hymn, I know whom I have believed. Listen to these words. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love 
redeem me for his own. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. I know not when the Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I'll walk the veil with him, meaning the valley of death, or meet him in the air. And then it goes, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Amen. We have a great salvation. You have a great, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a great salvation. And if anything, that you have been reminded of it this morning. And that we look at our world and our various trials differently because of it. Would you stand with me and we'll have prayer and sing our final song. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you for the instruction that Peter is giving to um, these first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted because of following you. We are thankful for their example that even though they have not seen you, they love you, and they don't even see you now how you're working, but they believe in you and they rejoice. And may we follow that example. We have not seen you like Peter has seen you, but may we dearly love you. And, and, And maybe we're in a situation, we got something on our plate that we can't see how you're working right now, but may that not deter us from believing in the one who has given us this inheritance and that is keeping us in, in your hand and has our full salvation complete, ready for us, no matter when. No matter when that day is, that you would be standing by the Father ready to receive us home. And Lord, may that bring from our lips great praise. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Paul and Silas are in prison and they just got beat up and everything else and and it's midnight and in their various trials because they are of such a salvation what did Paul and Silas start to do? They started to sing and then what happened to the prison walls? Yeah, all the chains and everything broke down and they got to see God move. I think that's when we get to see God move is when we're going through a various trial and we turn to him and we just praise him and we say, God, what are you teaching me? And I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you. And most likely what's going to happen is you're going to see God's hand move in your life and you're going to turn and just praise him all the more. So I just encourage you this day. You have a great salvation. Heavenly Father, thank you for the salvation that has been given to us. May we just be just overwhelmed this day. And if if we have not thought about it lately, or if we have kind of set it on the shelf, may this have just spurred us on to think again about how great a salvation you have provided for us. And may it help us, Lord, as we look at the life that we are going through right now and see it through the salvation that we have received. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Have a good week, everyone.